Okay, let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer, please. Our God and Father, we do come before you this morning knowing that we can only come in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, through his blood, we have access, knowing that you hear our prayers, and for that, we are very thankful. And Lord, we come together this morning to worship you and to give you praise and honor, for you deserve all glory and praise, all that we can think so highly about you, Lord, that you are deserving of that. Lord, we thank you for your scriptures, a great gift to us, that you might communicate truth to us, that we might gain understanding of your desires and your will and your authority over your kingdom, over your creation, over all that there is, Lord. And so, These things are in our mind as we come before you this morning. Lord, we desire to be pleasing to you in all that we do in this place. We come together as the body of Christ, that he might be glorified, and Father, that the saints might be edified. May you accomplish this through all that is done in this place this morning. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. So this is week number 58 in our study of the book of Daniel. And last time we continued to walk through chapter 10. And today actually we'll come to the end of that chapter and go into chapter 11. You'll remember that in this chapter we find Daniel um, a couple of years after the vision in chapter 9. He's beside the Tigris River when what I believe is a theophany of Jesus Christ appears before him. And the appearance given there is that very similar to what is described in Revelation 1 of Jesus Christ. And so Daniel sees this theophany and falls like a dead man. Part of that is because he's in the condition of weakness. He's been... um, humbling himself and mourning before the Lord for three weeks because he had this vision that he he does not yet have the interpretation to. And so he's been asking God to give him this interpretation of the vision for three weeks now. And this is very unusual for Daniel. In in the rest of the book, in all the visions, Daniel got an immediate interpretation of what the vision was. But here, he's been waiting for three weeks, asking God to give him an interpretation. And God actually dispatched an angel to do exactly that three weeks ago. But that angel was hindered, you remember, by the evil angel of Persia. This is a fallen angel, uh, one of uh, Satan's demons that is hindering this angel. And he does that for three weeks as a standoff, and he can't get by him for three weeks until Michael, the archangel, comes and removes the evil angel. Then the angel comes, and he appears before Daniel, and he begins to have this conversation with Daniel. But Daniel really can't hear him because he's weak, he's frightened, he's trembling. He can't even get up off his uh, hands and knees. Um, And so this angel touches him, 
Don't know exactly what that means, but he touches him so that he'll be strengthened. And Daniel is strengthened. Somehow in his physical body, he's now um, coherent. He's He's stronger than he was, and he's able to listen to the angel. And so that's kind of where we left him last week, in this strengthened state, uh, ready for the angel to begin to talk. And you remember this angel said that he would speak to him from the book of truth. And so um, he begins to do that in today's passage. So we're going to back up just a couple of verses into chapter 10 and verse 18, and then read down through 11.4 for our discussion this morning. So beginning in chapter 10, verse 18 of Daniel, this is the one with human appearance, then the one with human appearance touched me again and strengthened me. He said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now as soon as he spoke, spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you understand why I came to you? But I shall now return to fight against the prince of Persia. So I am going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces, except Michael, your prince. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. And now I'll tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings are going to arise in Persia. Then a fourth will gain far more riches than all of them. As soon as he becomes strong through his riches, he will arouse the whole empire against the realm of Greece. And a mighty king will arise, and he will rule with great authority and do as he pleases. But as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom will be broken up and parceled out toward the four points of the compass, though not to his own descendants, nor according to his authority, which he wielded, for his sovereignty will be uprooted and given to others besides them. Okay, so here we have... um, This angel strengthening Daniel and then beginning to speak to Daniel. And so in the first two verses that I read is simply where this angel does strengthen Daniel. Um, Up to this point, Daniel really is not coherent. Uh, He's not able to listen to the word of truth. But now this angel will begin to speak with him. And this Uh, passage really that the angel where the angel speaks to Daniel begins here in 11.1 and goes all the way down through 12.4 and nobody speaks except for the angel and what he's doing I believe he literally has the book of truth in front of him I believe that's a book written by God that details what's going to happen in human history and then he is looking at the book and explaining to Daniel what he sees in the book of truth. So that's the the setting, that's the scene, that's what the angel's doing. Um, The angel didn't write this book. He doesn't have any special authority. He's simply looking at it and telling Daniel what is going to happen. And I'll tell you, he leaves some things out. 
and he, but he tells us a lot, but he doesn't tell us everything. And we'll see that this morning, that there are some pieces that are missing, but that's okay. He's just looking at the book of truth and summarizing what he sees. So um, verse 20, kind of confusing to me when you, when you first read it. Um, this angel asked Daniel if he knows why he has come to Daniel. And then before Daniel can even say anything, he begins to tell him why he's come. And you'll, you'll notice there in verse 20, he says, do you understand why I came? And Daniel doesn't speak. And he says, but I shall now return. So it's like, are you going to tell me or you're not going to tell me? You said you were going to tell me from the book of truth, but now you tell me you're getting ready to return. So what is it? And so it's a little confusing to me. And then he says, um, I'll now return to fight against that evil angel, the prince of Persia. And as soon as I leave, as I go forth, then the angel of the prince uh, or the prince of Greece will come. So it's like, okay, what's going on here? And because he seems to be saying a lot of different things, we know that this is just the third year of Cyrus. We were told that back at the beginning of um, this chapter, that it's in the third year of Cyrus. So it's at the beginning of the Persian kingdom. And now this angel is talking about Greece coming, who ultimately defeats the Persian kingdom. But it doesn't happen for 200 years. So little, I'm, I'm just a little confused. But then he goes on, and he begins to give us an explanation of what's going on. Now, if you kind of try and back out a little bit and get the historical perspective of what is going on, um, Persia has only been in power. Remember, the Babylonian kingdom fell to Persia in 539 BC, had what I believe is two co-regent kings, one from Media, one from Persia. And that lasted for a couple of years. And then um, the Median king died. I believe that was Cyaxares II. And then Cyrus became the king and was ruling over all of Persia, which included Babylon. And so you'll remember we looked at that all the way back in chapter 6 when the Persians overtook the Babylonians. But the Persians are in power, and Alexander the Greek doesn't come and overtake them for 200 years. So this angel is kind of broad-brushing and sweeping when he gives this description here. Um, in his mind, is 200 years into the future. Now, clearly, that would not have been in Daniel's mind. There's no way Daniel can know that the Persians are going to rule for 200 years before um, this activity of the Greeks takes place. But it, that's how long it lasted in reality when you look back at history. Um, the Persian kingdom did not fall to Alexander the Greek until 331 BC. And you starts in 539, goes to 331. So over 200 years, and this angel is looking at that in whole. 
So that's one of the reasons it's a little confusing, um, at least to me it was. Um, this angel that was hindered by the evil angel of Persia, these angels seem to be over nations, not over everything, but over individual nations. This evil angel um, hindered him, but the angel that is standing talking to Daniel is the angel who influenced the Persian kings to allow the Jews to go back to Judah. And so he was effective. And so Daniel hadn't put all that together yet. He doesn't understand that, but he's getting ready to understand that this angel who is standing in front of me two years ago influenced Cyrus to decree that the Jews could return to Judah. And so he's getting ready to understand that. So you can imagine how Daniel feels when this angel says, I've come to t give you a message, <clears throat> but the message has already really started two years ago. And that's basically what he tells Daniel in the coming verses. <clears throat> now, this, <clears throat> this angel was effective in the land of Persia or in the Persian kingdom, I believe, for a long time. Because you remember we had not only the, the decree of Cyrus that they could return, but then came the decree of two kings later, Darius, and then two kings later, Artaxerxes came and gave a third decree. And we look back at Ezra, I think it was last week, to see that all three of those decrees were really the command of God. And it took all three of them to get the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. But those decrees are separated by hundreds of years. Cyrus gave, well, a little over 100 years. Cyrus gave his decree in 539 BC in his first year. He made a decree that the Jews could go back. And Artaxerxes didn't give his decree until um, 453 or something like that. And then he gave another permission to Nehemiah to return in 444 BC. So this angel isn't detailing all of that, and he's just covering a lot of time uh, in what he tells Daniel in these verses. So from 539 to 440 BC, 444 BC, um, a little over 100 years, this, or about 100 years, this angel had influence over the Persian kings. Otherwise, I believe they never would have allowed the Jews to go back. I mean, because they're very gracious. They give them all the uh, riches they need to be able to rebuild the, the temple and the city. They give them all the timbers they need to rebuild the walls and the gates. Um, they issue a command that if you try to stop them, that you'll be impaled with a timber from your own house and then your house will be made a rubbish, uh, a rubbish, which means all your kids and your wife will also be killed along with you. And so, I mean, the Persians gave the Jews a lot, but it was under the influence of this angel that is giving this message to Daniel. 
And so Daniel doesn't put all that together, but we're able to put all that together in the verses of as this angel begins to speak. You'll notice in verse 21, this angel um, tells Daniel again, however, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. So this, <laughs> this angel is conflicted. He needs to give Daniel this message, but he also needs to be um, influencing the kings of Persia so that things will go well in Persia for the Jews. So he can't do both at the same time. Angels are not omnipresent. They're in a singular place. That's clear by this angel who couldn't get to Daniel for three weeks. <clears throat> so he's there with Daniel. He can't do his job with the kings, but he feels the need to go back to the kings. And clearly he, he does ultimately go back. And you notice that Dan, he tells Daniel, I'm going to give you the words of truth that are inscribed in the book of truth, in the writing of truth. So that gives me the impression, if it's inscribed, and it only could have been inscribed by God who knew this future, then it's unchangeable, it's unalterable. It, it can't, it's, it's going to happen exactly as the book of truth says it's going to happen. That's always true with the will of God. You can't overcome the one who created all of creation. And so this angel understands that, and he says, I'm reading to you the inscription that I see in the book of truth. And so this book of truth, I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe it contains all of human history. From the very beginning, all the way to the, what the New Testament would call the end of the age. Um, in the Old Testament here in Daniel, they're called the latter days. In the New Testament, it's called the end of the age. So I believe this book contains all of that history. So God had a plan from the very beginning, and he wrote his plan out. Now, that doesn't mean that men simply do the will of God, whether they're evil or good, and don't have choices, don't have any will in what they do. The, the way I understand this works is that God has written a plan in his book, and God's will is determinative of what will happen in the future. It cannot be altered. Yet men make decisions, they plot evil and good schemes, they do what they want to do, they exercise their will, but their will is not determinative about what will happen. Maybe one day we'll talk more about that. I believe the same thing is true about salvation, that a man's will is not determinative if he will be saved or not. It's God's will that he will be saved or not. So, but that doesn't mean that men are robots. They exercise their will. They do what they want to do. It's true with me. It's true with you that we make decisions, whether they're good or bad. They have consequences, whether good or bad. Yet, 
our will isn't determinative. So it's not easy to understand, but maybe one day I'll take you to the scriptures that say exactly that, that the will of man is not determinative. It's over in the book of John, first chapter. John gets to it. So maybe one day we'll, we'll go and look at that so I can explain that more, but not today. Just want you to understand how this works, that God has written a plan for human history, and it will follow that plan. But men do exercise their will. They do good and evil. Yet what we see in this chapter is that the angels who battle in the heavenlies have some influence over what the leaders of men do. I mean, I don't know what other conclusion you could come to other than they do. Um, that's what this angel is trying to explain. I need to get back to the kings so that I can help direct them. I can maybe put things in their mind or show them or send them someone like Daniel who can explain it to them. Um, don't know exactly how he does that, but, and I believe that even today there are angels who have authority over nations, and that's one reason you see some nations go the way of demons and other nations go the way, at least in some degree, that um, would be more righteous, not righteous, but more righteous than some other nations. It's because the angels are battling and the one who wins gets to have the influence. And so, you know, Paul speaks of that, that our our warfare is not against other people, it's against the prince of the power of the air and heavenly forces. So there's more going on than we tangibly see and understand. So that's what this angel is saying to Daniel, that's what um, he's trying to communicate to Daniel. And Daniel, I think, gets it because after he tells him that I need to go fight these guys um, because there's no one there to do it other than me and Michael helps me. And notice what he says about Michael. Michael the angel. He says that no one's there to help me against these forces except Michael, your prince. So Michael is the prince of Daniel, which means Michael is the angel that is over the nation of Israel. He's the one that protects them. He's the one that guides them. He's the one that saw them go astray multiple times. And yet he's the one who ultimately presides over the nation of Israel, which is one of the reasons that Israel um, is able to return and make it and rebuild the temple and is still there when Jesus Christ comes and all that influence is because Michael helps them. Otherwise, they'd have been wiped off the planet. I mean, when Antiochus Epiphanes came against them, um, you know, um, they could not have survived if there had not been some type of supernatural help because he was much more powerful, much more rich, uh, able to decimate them, which he did in Jerusalem, he would have killed all of them. That was his plan, was to genocide, kill all the Jews. Um, but he wasn't able to accomplish that, I think in part, because Michael is their angel. 
and Michael can defeat any demon, apparently, that exists. Later, we'll see, well, way over in the book of Revelation in chapter 12, is Michael, chapter 11, it's Michael who throws Satan to the earth and limits his realm. So he's a very powerful angel, and he is the angel of the nation of Israel. Beginning in chapter 11, where this angel goes, he begins to speak to Daniel. And most of this will be prophetic, but the first verse is not. Notice he backs up. You remember this prophecy, um, or this vision given to Daniel. You look back at Daniel 10.1, it says, in the third year of Cyrus. Okay, but here in chapter 11, the angel tells Daniel, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. Okay, so this is where you get that confluence of Darius and Cyrus. Cyrus never used the name Darius in his kingship. He was always known as Cyrus the Great of Persia. So he didn't use Darius, so you can't be confused by that. I believe that Darius was a different person. I believe he was Cyaxares II out of the kingdom of Media, and that when Babylon fell, Cyaxares used the name of Darius as his king name, sort of like we use president, or some countries use emperor, he used Darius as his throne name, but his name was Cyaxares, and he was a co-king with Cyrus of Persia. Cyaxares being the older, says he's 67 years old when he's given the kingdom back in chapter 5, and Cyrus is pretty young. So within a couple of years, Cyaxares dies, and... Cyrus becomes the king of all of Persia, which includes Babylon. Okay, so when you look at Darius here in chapter 11 and verse 1, this is not Cyrus. This is someone of Median descent. It says that, right? In the first year of Darius the Mede. So you can't be confused. Cyrus did not come from Media. He came from Persia. So this isn't him. This is another person. And I believe it's Cyaxares II. Okay, all that to say, when he says in the first year of Darius, that's two years previous. Because the first year of Darius was also the first year of Cyrus. And so he's talking about something that has already happened two years ago. So all of a sudden, Daniel begins to understand. Because by this time, Darius the Mede, you remember who is the one, by the way, that threw Daniel into the lion's den. You remember when he became king, he set up um, three commissioners and then a bunch of satraps under them. Daniel was one of the three commissioners. And then the other two commissioners and all the satraps plotted against Daniel, where Daniel was ultimately thrown into the lion's den by Darius the Mede. Now, Daniel survived that, and so upon his survival, the other two commissioners and all of the satraps were all thrown into the lion's den with their families. So they were all eaten by lions. 
So the only person left under Darius the Mede, when it was all said and done, was Daniel. Everybody else, all the other leaders, every one of them have been eaten by lions and their families. Remember, we talked about that. Hundreds of people thrown into the lion's den. And, of course, you're not going to survive when you get thrown into the lion's den. So the, this thoughts go off in, Darius's, I mean, in Daniel's mind when this angel says, in the first year of Darius, I came, and his purpose in coming, notice what it says, was as an encouragement and a protection, as a strengthening for Darius, so that Darius would not be overcome by these evil plots against Daniel, which certainly would have been the work of the evil angel. So they were battling even then for control of what was going to happen. Now, clearly, the good angel ultimately won and was able to influence Darius and Cyrus because it was that year that Cyrus gave his proclamation that the Jews could return. So Daniel all of a sudden understands it. So this just didn't happen. It wasn't because I explained it to Cyrus. It's because this angel was at work helping Darius and Cyrus, both. And so Daniel now understands that better. It's been two years. He now understands this guy who's standing beside me can influence what happens in Persia. So, and he's been strengthened, so his cognitive skills are now working, and he understands all this. And so now you know that he's going to believe anything that this angel says because he's reading from the book of truth. So um, verse 2 all the way through chapter 12, verse 4, is the vision that Daniel saw and is an explanation of what he saw. Up until this point, all we know about the vision is that Daniel described it as great warfare. So that's all we know. So we're talking about wars and battles. And um, as we have seen in previous visions, now this vision of Daniel, I mean, it doesn't end until chapter 12. And at the beginning of chapter 12, Michael the angel appears again. And you'll notice that, I just want to show you this so you'll realize what this vision is. You notice that in verse 2 of chapter 12, he says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to an everlasting life, but but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So Daniel sees the resurrection of the dead in this vision, which doesn't happen until the latter days or the end of the age, as we see it laid out in, um, in the New Testament. Paul, in particular, gives us the resurrections, and then Revelation gives us the rest of the resurrections. Um, so... Daniel sees that. I believe that the resurrection of the saints is separate and distinct 
from the resurrection of all those who weren't, didn't have faith in God, but Daniel sees them side by side because this is the Old Testament, right? So you don't have all the revelation that you have in the New Testament. And so this vision of Daniel starts with Darius, really starts with Cyrus, and, which is contemporary to Daniel. Daniel's living in those times. But it sweeps all the way to the resurrection of the dead, which is the end of the age. So this is all of human history, if you will, from the time when, da when Daniel heard it, which is somewhere around 550 BC, all the way to the end. So this is quite a vision. Now this is similar, I believe, to the vision that he had in chapter seven, where we had the four beasts and Daniel was more concerned about the fourth beast, which I believe is the Antichrist and will come at the end. Um, and so that vision swept all the way from the, um, actually before Daniel, from Nebuchadnezzar, all the way to the end of the age. Then chapter eight, I believe, um, this was the two beasts, the ram and the goat. And I believe that was fulfilled in Antiochus Epiphanes. And yet it has indications of the end of the age. It has some things that match the end of the age. In chapter 9 that we just got through with, the 70 weeks of Daniel, I, I believe does the same thing. It starts from when Darius begins his first decree and includes the next two decrees that come from the other kings and then sweeps all the way to the end of the age again. So this is not unusual for the visions of Daniel. Matter of fact, it's the same, but it's, it's covering all of human history. Doesn't include all the details clearly, but includes some of the details. This one includes more of the details of human history literal things that happen that will match up than all the others combined. So this one gives us a lot of details of what happens on the planet um, as Rome begins to take control and then is ultimately defeated um, as, you know, names that you're familiar with like uh, Mark Anthony and Cleopatra are in this chapter and you'll see it in spades. Um, uh, the ships coming against Antiochus are in this chapter. I mean, there's a lot of detail in here that we'll walk through and try and match up um, because the angel just keeps talking and Daniel is just kind of overwhelmed by all he says. This, this book is contemporary to Daniel and then jumps to the end of the age. And it does it multiple times. We saw that in chapter 9, that only the last verse jumps to the end of the age. And then this chapter does the same thing. And it's subtle, and you have to really look at it hard to realize it, but it's there. And I'll show it to you when we get there. He's always getting ahead of me. So 35 verses ahead of me. <laughs> so. Okay, so in verse 2, 
this angel turns to Daniel and says, now I will tell you the truth, what is written in the book of truth. So here he begins to predict the future. And notice that he says, um, talking about Cyrus, behold, three more kings. So these are the kings after Cyrus. There will be three more kings are going to arise in Persia. Then a fourth will gain far more riches than all of them. All right, now, this is where it becomes a little difficult. There were not Cyrus, three kings, and then a fourth king, five kings of Persia. There were more than that. After Cyrus came his son, Cambyses. And after Cambyses came Darius the Great. And after Darius the Great came Xerxes. And after Xerxes came Artaxerxes. So Cyrus, Darius the Great, and Artaxerxes, we've already talked about. But you notice Cambyses and who else? And Xerxes are not mentioned anywhere in any of these prophecies. Maybe because they didn't do anything for the nation of Israel. And so you have Cyrus and then three more kings. I don't know who the third king is. Um, I, I don't know. Um, because you have more kings after, uh, I have it enumerated here for you. After um, Artaxerxes came Xerxes second, and then came Sogdignus, uh, then came Darius II, then Artaxerxes II, then Darius III. Now, Darius III is mentioned here. And the reason we know that, notice he says, becomes strong through his riches, he will arouse the whole empire against the realm of Greece. It's Darius III who is defeated by Alexander the Great. So while there's nine kings of Persia, only five of them are mentioned here. You have Cyrus, three more kings, and a fourth king. And that, so there's five of them out of the nine, maybe because the others weren't as significant. I, I don't know. But you only know who a few of them are. I think we know who Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes are. The third king that arises after him, I'm not sure who that is. But the king who goes against Greece is clearly, clearly Darius III. There were three significant battles when Alexander the Great took um, the Persian kingdom. And each time battle lines were drawn, he defeated them. They retreat, battle lines are drawn, he defeats them. They retreat, battle lines are drawn, and he defeats them and takes over the whole kingdom. And so all these three wars are well chronicled in history. You can go read about them. Um, of the time when Alexander the Greek overtook um, the Persians. And I believe that was 321. It was 321 BC when all of that happened. So you're all of a sudden in these couple of verses, this angel jumps from 539 B.C. all the way to 321. 
B.C. And he goes even further here in just a second. So I think what we're going to do, um, just notice what he says in the end of chapter uh, verse 2. He says, he will arise his empire against Greece. We know the Greeks win. That's Alexander the Greek. And then verse 3, and a mighty king will arise and he will rule with great authority and do as he pleases. That is Alexander. And clearly, Alexander had more power than anybody else has ever had on the planet, able to defeat in very short order lots of nations, and he did what he pleased. When he overtook Persia, he adopted the Persian customs as his own. Now, Alexander dies shortly after that in... I mean, he's 32 years old and has already conquered the world, and he dies. Untimely death, don't know why he died, but he does. And that's the next verse, is when he dies. So verse 4, but as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom will be broken up because he dies. Okay, so that's where we'll pick up next time. We need some time to talk about verse 4 because we want to understand because it leads into the other verses. So this angel speaking about from the time of Daniel to the end of the age and now covering hundreds of years in a sentence. And he'll do that going on. He'll cover hundreds of years, even thousands of years later in a breath. And so we'll walk through this, see if we can understand what is happening and how it matches up to history. And uh, we'll see that the book of truth is always, always accurate. Never does it fail. Thanks for your time.